0: This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290, WNBF Binghamton, and
1: WNBF.com. Where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White.
2: Well, the winds have died down substantially for today, mostly sunny, a little bit milder too, as well the high in the low to mid 40s. It'll be getting a little bit colder. For the weekend and wind's picking up again. Officials with the Broom County Community College say they're in conversation with Binghamton University about the possibility of integrating SUNY Broom and BU. A news release from the Front Street campus yesterday announced the university and community college have begun to explore the potential for significantly enhancing our existing partnerships by developing new integrations between the two institutions. There are already some partnerships in place. For example right now BCC students can take some courses with their credits transferred to the four-year programs at BU and have a fast track for transfers to the university. More details about the talks may come after the holidays. While the news release says the proposed new structure will keep all jobs intact, earlier this year, SUNY Broome President Dr. Kevin Drum announced his plans to retire next July. A former physician assistant is facing up to a year in the Broome County Jail after being found guilty of forcibly touching a patient. The Broome County District Attorney's Office has announced a jury in Binghamton City Court has found 68-year-old Alan Geller of Binghamton guilty of forcible touching. While working as a PA, Geller groped the breast of a 35-year-old woman while she was being given her physical exam. Federal prosecutors say they still don't know the real identity of an Owego man who has been using the ID of a homeless United States Army veteran in order to obtain hundreds of thousands of dollars in assistance. The U.S. Attorney's Office has announced the sentencing of John Doe to four years, nine months in federal prison for getting $838,457.78 in supplemental Social Security income and state benefits used the homeless man's identity for 22 years. Officials say John Doe's true identity has yet to be confirmed. Gas prices in the greater Binghamton area might go up as one of the price control measures in place over the spring and summer has run out. The temporary cap on Broome County's tax on gasoline due to the soaring prices resulting from Russia's invasion of Ukraine is over. While New York's suspension of its 16 cents a gallon gas tax put in place June 1st is scheduled to end December 31st, Broome's ceiling ended on Thursday. Broom County Executive Jason Garner says the county was able to take the $1.5 to $2 million budget hit for the temporary tax cap because its sales tax revenues were up compared to a year earlier. The Binghamton area's list of film credits is continuing to grow with the release yesterday of a new horror film that was shot in Johnson City in February of last year. The Harbinger uses such Broome County landmarks as the Goodwill Theater and Shore Family Firehouse Stage on Willow Street in Johnson City and the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena in Binghamton as the filming locations. The film is being distributed by XYZ Films and premiered at the Montreal Fantasia International Film Festival. It was released on video video and in demand yesterday A national used car dealer is being fined in order to change some of its marketing practices in a settlement with New York State and other state attorneys general. New York Attorney General Letitia James' CarMax failed to disclose open safety recalls on their used vehicles to customers before they sold them. Some of those recalls included serious safety concerns with vital equipment, including brakes, airbags, and fuel pumps. The $1 million agreement with CarMax will require the company to give access to information to consumers about any open safety recalls new york will receive over fifty three thousand seven hundred seventy dollars Total settlement agreement funds. A different kind of jolly old elf will be roaming the streets of Binghamton tomorrow rather than the saintly old gentleman upon whose lap little children perch to reveal their Christmas wishes. The annual SantaCon celebration will be overtaking downtown Binghamton tomorrow, featuring revelers in various provocative holiday costumes. People who are planning to do holiday shopping in the city center tomorrow may want to keep in mind the increased activity that for the past several years has begun by midday and continued into the night with a large concentration of mainly college-aid students Students in the area of the downtown bars. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast mostly sunny today, high in the low to mid 40s. Increasing clouds tonight, a 30% chance of showers, low in the mid 30s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM.
0: Do it live. We'll do it live. All right, we will do it live. This is Bob Joseph, live on a Friday morning, 607-772-1290. That is the number. Email the program using this address, Bob, at WNBF.com. We want to hear from you on this Friday morning on news radio, WNBF. In a crowd in a
3: city of I... Park. Cover on the edge, I'm really low There's a step across at me With eyes that look but cannot see Out of reach, out of love, stepping out of bounds Every day it's tomorrow and I've never Nothing to bear with me Every day it's tomorrow and I feel someone
0: Yeah, I'll be the one dancing at the park there at the Lights on the River Festival. This music playing on a loop for about two hours tonight in Owego. Yeah, a nice place to dance and a nice place where I can watch those fireworks for Lights on the River in Owego. What a cool small town got your calls coming up on this Friday morning. If you're on the line, please stand by. First, we turn our attention to the Parkway in Vestal with Nick Tamaris, Honda Sales Manager with the Miller Auto Team. Good morning.
4: Ooh, good morning, Bob. How are you?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> what's going on over there? I, I drove by early this morning, and I'll tell you, at about 5.20 this morning, I didn't see a darn thing going on over there. What's <laughs> up, man?
4: It's still dark though, it? it was
0: dark. I'm oh, saying, come I'm, on, where is Nick? Where's Jason? Where is where, Jason? Where's Bill and Steve and, and Matt and and, and Ralph and, and Dan and Sarah?
4: Come on, man. I don't know about them, but I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's where I should have been. But anyway, yeah. everything looked like it was under control. All was yeah. calm in preparation for a busy Friday. So everybody is uh, on duty and whether people are interested in a honda or a hyundai or perhaps some of the vehicles in the used vehicle inventory the people at the yeah. miller auto team are are ready to work today
4: absolutely yeah we really start our day off at seven thirty with the morning service drive that's when folks come in and bring a car in to get their oil change and their tires rotated and and then usually they'll wander their way up and find their way up in the showroom look at the pretty brand new cars and uh Sometimes they even leave with a pretty brand new car, so yeah, it's nice, but yeah, we start off at seven thirty in service, uh sales nine o'clock, and uh yeah, it's exciting, and you know we had a phenomenal month last month we uh we we really did a great great November, and December we're looking to do it all over again, and the neat thing is like when you drove by. You probably saw a line of cars out there. We got some availability of cars, which is really cool. So very excited about that.
0: I did notice that, and I thought, well, yeah. it's good. Good to see a good inventory. That's a, a good sign now that uh, there's more stability and and things in terms of uh, overall production and getting getting the the new vehicles in on a regular basis. That's a great sign for for people who want a dependable new vehicle here.
4: Yeah, yeah, even if you, uh that we got some cars out there, they're 22s, Uh if you're looking for the 23s, we got those coming in, but if you're looking for pilots, you're looking for the all-wheel drive for the wintertime, we got a nice selection of pilots out there, we have a really nice selection of Honda passports, if you still want that nice big SUV, but you want two rows of seating, and you want to sit up nice and tall so you see the road, we got passports, we even have which I can't believe we have, which is really cool, it hasn't been spoken for yet. We have the all-new Honda Odyssey here, so if you're looking for a minivan, we got one in beautiful red, Sport Package on it, and we got a lot of a lot of great things happening here right now.
0: So, open today till six. Is that accurate?
4: Yeah. So today's Friday. We're gonna be here till six. Saturday we're gonna be here till four. Sunday we're closed. So if folks want to come in, you know, not uninterrupted. Look around. Sunday's a great day to do that. Monday will be open till 7, and then Tuesday till 7 o'clock, too. And the nice thing is some of those cars are 22s out there, so if you're looking to save a little bit on a 22, scoop those up. If you're looking for 23s, we have 23s coming in. And we've got some really cool colors out there, like the new CRVs, all brand new. We have demonstrators we can show you. And on a 23 CRVs, we've got some cool colors, like uh, the Canyon River Blue, Still Night, which is a nice dark blue, radiant red, and the most popular one, HRV, If you want something a little bit smaller and a sport utility, Nordic. That green color really, really popular. So we got we got some really nice stuff going on.
0: Yeah, I just punched up the Canyon River Blue. I love that <laughs> color.
4: That, that is the that is the hot new color right now. Matter of fact, I have a, a customer out there right now from service, uh, John. He's waiting to discuss his uh, his Canyon River Blue, brand new twenty three CRV, and you really got to come down and take a look at them they really did a phenomenal job with the grill the lights in it the styling the interior and we even have some here that's demo so if you want to drive one they really drive quite spectacular
0: i'm tempted i, I just even punched up a youtube video <laughs> of uh, it's a this is a 2023 honda crv exl all-wheel drive canyon river blue metallic and a yeah. guy a guy on YouTube, he just posted within the last few weeks, he did a walk-around of the yeah. vehicle. And I'm telling you, oh, my goodness, yeah. that is yeah, that it's, is delightful.
4: Know, yeah, it, it's, it's getting a lot of chatter out there with uh, the new body style, the way they drive, the all-wheel drive. You sit up nice and tall, really got a nice styling. And, yeah, YouTube's a great place for if you don't want to stop in right now, take a look at the cars, see what they look like, come in and order it. And then, you know what, before you know it, they're here. And you're ready to pick them up, and we got great salespeople out there too, like uh, Aaron Craig and Amanda Hill and Pat Sobalski and Danny Phelps. They show you all the details on how everything works, and we pair your phone up for you, and it just makes really for a spectacular event. It's really quite nice.
0: Excellent. Well, Nick, I hope you and your colleagues at Miller Motors on the Parkway in Vestal have a great day. And of course, I always say this, or try to remember to say it on Fridays. I know you and your uh fellow team members are busy uh, busy on fridays and saturdays but still try to find some time this weekend to relax a little bit
4: oh absolutely once we get all the customers all settled in their new vehicles then we will find some time to relax but
3: yeah yeah (laughs)
0: basically satisfaction of a job well done
4: oh heck yeah yeah we got to get everybody in their car and show them all the neat stuff and get them all set so absolutely
0: thank you nick hope you have a great weekend
4: Hey Bob and you too and thank you. We appreciate
0: it. Miller Motors, forty four fifty-five Vestal Parkway East in Vestal, directly across from Binghamton University. It is nine seventeen. You're listening to news radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Looking for Train to Georgia. I want to get there early.
5: He's leaving, leaving. Oh, train to I can't
0: wait till midnight. The noon train from the Lackawanna station.
5: Said he's going back.
0: Dale in Binghamton. Good morning. You're on the air.
5: Good
6: Morning, Bob. I'm looking at the Lackawanna station. As a matter of fact, what that blue that blue colored uh, Honda. Boy. It just um, makes my mouth
0: water. Oh my gosh! <laughs> full wheel drive. It, it's yeah. delightful. It's if I oh. if I <laughs> didn't have to be here right now, I'd probably be yeah. driving down Look to the Parkway and making yeah up. making the arrangements. It's it is yeah. lovely.
6: Okay, well about the trains and everything, you know, and all this situation where there's get seven days off from uh, work. Because they're sick, you know, and they can't get that even from the government. And uh, you drive three thousand miles away from your house, and you, you can't, you know, because you're sick. You have to stay out there, and they have to pay for that on their own. That time on their own, you know, the engineers, you know, the
7: and all of that,
6: you know, and. To drive all the way back, being a truck driver, you know, I know all about that stuff, but uh, it's expensive. So
0: I mean, the question that presents itself is: is how is something like this? How is something like this allowed to happen in the USA in 2022? And why should the government get involved with this? You know? Well, the government has to get involved because if if they go on strike. It wrecks the economy, and I won't be able to get the stuff I need for the holidays. Well,
6: that's, what, that's what people need, though. You know, I've driven back and forth across the United States more than once, more than 1,000 times. And I'm just saying, it costs money if you don't have the right insurance, and you're out there in Illinois where your family isn't, you know, and, and, and you need to take at least seven days off. You know, and, and what's so bad about that? You know, when when you're out. Well, I think
0: people. Need, I think everybody should have at least two weeks sick time per year, and yeah. everybody should have at least five weeks vacation time per year, and also <laughs> uh, four personal weeks. days. <laughs> yeah, and, and four <laughs> personal days just to deal with you know, <laughs> say if you get aggravated by something, you could take four at, personal days. At least
6: days. a vacation. Day. Sure.
0: <laughs> I mean, come on, way. man! You know why do we I treat why on. do we treat workers why so poorly?
6: Picking up, uh, you know, peanuts <laughs> when something so important.
0: All right, keep an eye, keep a close eye on that train station, okay? That, that's what I
6: say. Is uh, that's why? I,
0: okay. All right. Thanks. Yeah, that train station. I we dodged a bullet there by. Avoiding that strike is having a national rail strike in December. What a nightmare. John in Binghamton, you're on.
5: Hey, Bob. As I forecasted some time ago, uh, SUNY Broome uh, is going the way of Davis College. And uh, we can forget about all the standard excuses, uh, student enrollment down. That didn't help any, but... Really, the crux of it is is that SUNY Broome has been mismanaged. Uh, the board, uh, prior board members, are all in on it. Uh, and what happened there is quite simple. Uh, the spouses of uh, politically connected people uh, went over there and were given jobs. Uh, people in politics started there as adjuncts to get on the, the gravy train. And essentially, it became a means to an end. For, uh, oh, anywhere from 100 to 200 people, uh, to, uh, suck out as much money of the, uh, of the, uh, that institution as they could. Uh, now, uh, I don't understand something. SUNY Broome is an asset of the taxpayers of Broome County. That's who owns it. Uh, the pension fund is in terrible, terrible shape. If Stanger and uh, Kevin Drum, uh, who will go down as the Dino Padron of SUNY Broome, uh, think that they can cook up a deal uh, to reward themselves and to reward certain UUP members and try to gloss over what's happened to the pension fund over there, they're sadly mistaken. Now, there is a model that's being employed at other community colleges in New York State. And that's to centralize back office functions. Uh, This has been done uh, on more than a few campuses. Uh, But anyway, we don't need any more expansion of Binghamton University. They're either going to operate. Broome County is going to have to decide whether they're going to operate a college or not. And if they're not...
0: What if if they decide they also want to expand to Tompkins-Cortland Community College? What about that?
5: Well, uh, it's funny you should mention that. As part of my work, uh, I'm on various uh, private and uh, uh, public uh, thing. And I can tell you this, uh, moving from Tompkins Community College, if you ever go up to MVC or, uh, no, Onondaga, you see what a community college can be in plant and equipment and dorms. I mean, you know, those dorms at OCC are beautiful. The campus is beautiful. And various campuses are are being uh, remodeled. Uh, They're putting some money in it. Uh, And it has to do with whether the programs themselves are strong. You know, uh, SUNY Broome had a disaster called the Casino School, and that was easily debunked at the time. I said, you know, this is the type of thing that you, you can get in Nevada at a strip plaza. You don't need a college curriculum. Uh, you know, if you're not going to go to UNLV, then then forget it. And I also mentioned that the casinos had in-house training programs, which is what happened at Tioga Park. So hundreds of thousands of dollars were built on that. There was no graduates uh from that, that program. And we, we've seen this for, oh, geez, oh, you know, 30 or 40 years where they'll start a program, they'll attract something, and then all of a sudden... That program disappears from the college campus, which, you know, and, and then they say, well, to the student, well, well, you can still get your degree in that. Well, wait a minute. What, what, uh, what good is a degree for a program that you don't want to continue, that you said was vital or was the key to the future? So we've seen this time and time again. But anyway, another insider deal uh, cooked up at the county level those assets are Broom County taxpayer assets. This this is not a backroom deal, and it shouldn't be a backroom deal. One last thing on Garner yesterday, you know how he, he admitted that this guy that's doing this uh, huge uh, million dollar plus deal uh, for land that he has in his family. He, you know, you had a you know Garner gonna said, "Yeah, he's a, I appointed him. He's my appointment. I know the guy." Uh, and instead, he he sort of was mealy mouthed about it. But let me tell you something. A uh, thirty-five million. This is why Broom County government is so insular and selfish. The, uh, the county executive, and this has been since Cram, uh, uh, Jeff Cram, has, set, has essentially views his function as, as and his loyalty to the thousands of people that work for Broom County, and not the people that own the enterprise. We, the people, and this you you've seen it with the paying of the stipends. Now I've requested Bob. Uh, if you're going to offer a retention bonus, there there should be some agreement. I mean, in other words, if you're going to give everybody a thousand dollars retention bonus, what 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 did they what did they promise? Did they promise to work for another week, another month, another few years? Uh, is this an amendment to union contracts, or is this just hey, we've got some money here, I need your votes, so we're going to give you a thousand dollars? You know, uh, I'm telling you something. Uh, If the taxpayers knew what really is happening in Broome County government, they would throw up. I mean, you can look, go find these people, see what they're drawing out, see what these ex-legislators are drawing out in pensions for for a a -a once-a-month job and health care and all this stuff that they're getting. It's completely, completely out of control, and that's why all you have to do is compare to Onondaga, 11% tax entry. Jason Garner's not running a bank over there. Uh, you need a five to $7 million surplus. Uh, that, that's some hell of a rainy day, uh, $35 million worth.
0: All right. We'll see what uh, other listeners have to say. Thank you. John from Binghamton at 928. This is your program. Coming up next hour, we'll talk with Brian Fry from WSKG Public Media, a documentary which he has been working on for many, many years will debut on TV on Monday. And Brian Fry will talk about it. Sadly, it's about one of the most tragic situations that ever happened in the city of Binghamton, the salt babies at Binghamton General Hospital. It's a tough topic, but the story must be told. And the story will be told thanks to Brian Fry with his documentary film about the salt babies which will be seen on WSKG TV on Monday. Brian Fry will join us next hour here at News Radio, WNBF, and WNBF.com. Say- News Radio
8: 1290, WNBF.
0: Bob Joseph, WNBF.
9: I
3: love
6: Endicott.
0: Tempted to call myself Bob Endicott again today. Actually, that's what I will for the next segment. News Radio, WNBF, Bob Endicott live. We're joined by the Village Mayor, Linda Jackson. Good morning.
10: Good morning, Bob Endicott. <laughs> love, it, love it. Yeah,
0: how come uh, Binghamton doesn't have a good song like that? You know, that. Binghamton Auto <laughs> commission, or even Johnson City. I, I bet the other mayors are jealous that they don't have a song that is that zippy and zany.
10: I bet you they're right.
3: Yeah.
0: You right? <laughs> oh well, let's not to say they're bad municipalities. Of course, they're oh, no. all integral parts of what we know as the triple cities. But still, I mean, listen, just a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, I could listen to that all day, but that's not why you called. So anyway, uh, Mayor Jackson, are, are you actually in Endicott at the moment?
10: Oh, yeah. I'm in my office right now, yes.
0: All right. At the municipal building, no
3: less.
10: Oh, yes.
0: And by the way...
10: I'm here every morning. <laughs> right. Well,
0: not to, you know, not to um, denigrate or criticize the beautiful Binghamton City Hall or the Johnson City municipal offices. I just think of, of the three locations in the triple cities I just happen to think the Endicott Municipal Building is the nicest design of them all.
10: Well thank you we appreciate that. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> it is beautiful I love it but but then I practically live here so I have to love it.
0: <laughs> yeah anyway so uh, big stuff uh, happening on Washington Avenue tomorrow, correct?
10: Oh yes, our parade. And since Genesis City and Binghamton uh, and Vestal aren't having any, um, it's going to be the biggest one around. Genesis City is having festivities tomorrow night, uh, but, but not a parade. We're the only parade in town, so it's going to be really, really big. And we have a special guest, Boris the Skeleton, is joining us. And to be honest with you, I didn't think a skeleton belonged with Christmas, but but he's cool, he's decorated for every uh, occasion, and the kids love him. So So we're even going to be parking him after the parade for kids to have their pictures taken over here by the municipal building.
0: Yeah, the strange thing about that skeleton, that skeleton lives... A few blocks from where I grew up as as a kid, I think it's actually an endwell, isn't it? Just uh, a little outside yeah. the village, right?
10: Yes, it is. Yeah,
0: yeah and so that's, we're so
10: glad he's joining us. Well, yeah,
0: yeah. And I every time that I see Boris the skeleton, I think, "Gosh, you know that part of Country Club Road was always nice, but it wasn't this nice when I was a kid. I used to go up there to grab uh, candy. They sold dangerous atomic fireballs for a penny each." Ooh at the, the candy store near where Boris lives now. I'll be darned. yeah cool? Those were the days, yeah. my friend.
10: Yes, they were.
0: So tell us a little bit about um, the schedule of events for the Avenue tomorrow.
10: Well, the parade will start at 4 o'clock. Now, a lot of the businesses are staying open. Some of the restaurants have got special menus. So we're hoping people will come early and have something to eat and visit our stores or maybe stay late. Then as soon as the uh, As soon as the parade is over with, we'll light the municipal tree out here, probably between 515 and 530. That's also when the fireworks will start, right after the parade. And then we're going to have Santa with cookies and hot cocoa at the fire station. And like I said, if people want to come over and take pictures of Boris, uh, they can do that also near the municipal tree. We're going to have someone come over to sing. I don't know if we're having choruses or not, but the uh, Veterans Memorial over here, this, this area near the The tree is always full of people and festivities going on. So it's really going to be quite quite an evening, uh, one we won't forget for a long time.
0: Now, is that open only to Village of Endicott residents?
10: Oh, no, we want everybody to come down. Um, I'm In fact, uh, I'm riding with, I believe Donna Lopardo will be riding with me, and I think John Schaefer is riding with me. He's coming over early to the municipal building to come with me, and uh, from Vestal, I know that the Town of Union will, will have their float. They'll, they'll all be here. My trustees will all be here. Do you think uh, Rick
0: Madarese from the Town of Union will be there?
10: Oh, yes, I'm sure he will. He comes every year. I'm sure he'll be with with, uh, the Town of Union, definitely. At least I'm hoping he is. I'm planning on it. (laughs) Well, what about Fred Akshar? Oh, I'm sure he will be, too. I'm sure Fred will come. He always always participates in our events with us.
0: All right. And so it is open to anyone, and even for people from out of state. Say, if people are visiting this area, if they want to come, say, if they're from Florida or Tennessee or wherever, they can participate, too.
10: Oh, we would love to have them. The more, the merrier. Just like it used to be. You see the pictures on Facebook where they show tons and tons of people on the avenue? We're hoping to start building up to that again. We want as many people to come as possible because it's going to be a fantastic event. There's fire trucks from I think she told me 10 or 20 different areas, municipalities are coming because we're going to have Grant Avenue. is going to be three blocks full of fire trucks and we're going to mingle them in between uh, other floats and, and marching bands and people walking in the parade. So it's going to be amazing the amount of people that are showing up and the floats are going to be fantastic. There's some grand ideas. I can't wait to see
0: it sounds fantastic. Speaking with the Endicott Mayor, Linda Jackson, a lot is going on nearby over at the Huron campus. I've noted with interest that the uh, the gang, they hired a company out of Seneca County called Sessler Wrecking, and they know how to take down an old uh, pedestrian bridge. That's what they're doing right now. And that bridge that hasn't been used for several years at the Huron campus that links the buildings on the east or the west side of uh, mckinley avenue over to the old building group on the east side that is that's coming down it looks like they're moving uh, very fast with that project
10: well, the easy part's done. They got rid of the the cement, but now they've got to get rid of the metal structure. And what they're going to do is they're going to be bringing in a crane and some flatbed trailers, and they're going to have to be removing it. And I'm not mistaken, they're going to be cutting it in sections because it's very heavy. So it's going to be quite a project to get rid of it. That that's a very sturdy structure to have uh, held the weight of those flat uh, of the forklift trucks and product going back and forth all these years. It wasn't just pedestrians that were on that bridge. It was actually the forklift trust and workers so they're they're going to be bringing in a crane we should be seeing that shortly and uh and so it's going to be it's going to be exciting and then they're mobilizing an excavator to the site towards the end to remove the concrete piers down to the existing grade so they've got a lot of work a lot of little work that seems little to us but it's going to be a big deal to get it all finished up but uh, it should be done within another week i think
0: Well, I'm glad you clarified what's going to happen with the metal structure because I I spoke a few days ago with Chris Pelto, who oversees the site for Phoenix Investors, and that was the one thing... Oddly enough, I forgot to ask him, I mean, he did say they were bringing in a big crane to deal with the metal structure, but I um, shockingly forgot to ask him, so are you going to be able to haul that away in one piece or do you have to cut it up? I mean, obviously, it's it's a very long um, a piece of, of metal that, that goes across McKinley Avenue, so obviously it makes sense. It needs to be cut up if it's going to be transported off the site.
10: Yeah, it, it's going to be a big job. Um, but they're, they're, like you say, this is what they do for a living. They're experts at it, and that's why Phoenix hired them.
0: You know, that same company actually did some of the uh, bridge demolition work for the uh, Mount Prospect project here in Binghamton, 1781. They, they helped uh, dismantle bridges a few years ago for that big project, so they, they've done work in this area before.
10: Yeah, they're they're a good company, and it was very kind. Phoenix was offering to put off the job until after our holiday parade, but can you imagine if we asked to have it put off for a week and a piece of that cement went down through a car? I mean, that would have been inexcusable. So we said, no, we are not getting in the way of of demolition and I'm sorry that that uh, there's going to be a lot of traffic delays with McKinley Avenue still being closed and us closing so many streets for the for the parade but safety was our number one concern and we wanted to take the first available date that that contracting company had to take it down to just get it down and over with so nobody else got hurt
0: Yeah, and public safety is uh, a much higher priority than the convenience a delay of a few minutes is a minor i think a minor thing as opposed to dealing with a potential safety hazard so well that'll be that'll be notable to finally have that out of there and then as chris pelto told me the other day he uh, said a study is getting started uh believe phoenix investors uh they've now hired a company to do a study to help determine precisely what needs to be done for the demolition project for the old building group those five buildings to the east of mckinley avenue because that's also not as simple as some people might think some people driving by would say hey just call the, those guys at gorick they could handle that in about three weeks but the problem is there are some underground utilities that uh, have to be taken into consideration before that work can get started
10: we have to worry about remediation, and GORC is good with remediation. They know how to handle it, but I think this is just above and beyond what a regular house remediation would be. So we just want to make sure that taking it down doesn't contaminate the air. That's a very big concern of Phoenix, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be glad to know that they are taking that into consideration when they take down these buildings.
0: Talking with Endicott Mayor Linda Jackson. So one of the things that uh, I know you and some other officials in the triple cities have been concerned about lately are these shops that pop up and they operate on some sort of premise that it's it's gifting and from what I can see and what some people tell me the stuff that they're gifting may not may not be something that's really supposed to be going on. I mean, I, I spotted a couple of shots, uh, shops throughout the village, and I know this is going on in, in Johnson City and Binghamton and elsewhere. So what is going to be done about these shops that are proliferating? Seems like there there must be uh, at least a dozen or more shops like this all around Broome County.
10: Yes, and the funny thing is a lot of these owners have shops in all three towns. The The Binghamton, Jackson City, and Endicott. And we're all getting together with the other officials, both with the, the code departments and the police of all those other municipalities, because the state laws are against it, but it's a little bit gray area, and it's a little bit hard to prosecute. So the village, and I, I, I do believe Jackson City has already done this, are, are strengthening Our laws, our local laws, our nuisance laws, we're going to be initiating some Monday night on December 5th at our meeting. We're going to be having a public hearing, and we're going to be passing a law to just strengthen it to make it more clear, for our police to go down and shut down these places. One has shut down in Endicott already because they were tired of being co- harassed every day by the police about it because our police and code have been going down every day on the avenue and addressing the situation, and it's very, very exasperating. So we're going to eventually be closing them all down. We d- are going to have one legal dispensary in the village of Endicott, but we have had no applications yet. They're not, they're not ready to do that yet. The state has to finish... Finalizing their laws, and then we have to see if we want to make things even more strict. Because we are allowed to make things more strict, just not less strict. The thing with marijuana is we can't treat it any different than tobacco on a lot of uh, a lot of things. That makes it a little bit difficult. But we've got some pretty strict tobacco laws here in the village, so I think we're going to be just fine. But those places are very nerve wracking because I heard where parents are telling me their high school kids are in there buying it. And, uh, and that, that concerns me. They're not even supposed to be buying tobacco. How in the world are they in there buying weed, you know? So it, it is a little bit nerve wracking. And I don't know the quality of the weed. With these dispensaries, they have to follow a lot of rules so they can't be cut with things that are going to poison people who do want to partake of it. Uh, if people want to smoke weed in their own house by, by themselves, that's, that's their business. Uh, but it would be nice if it wasn't tainted and, and, and poisonous to them so that's so, kind of what we're we're planning. So
0: how exactly are they doing this? See I I've never I was going to try to find out as part of an investigative piece for the station and then I thought eh, I don't really want to get myself involved in this <laughs> despite the the changes in New York state law but tell me what what seems to be the the procedure that they use to get on, uh, get around uh the current New York state law that um you know, is supposed to have uh, businesses officially licensed. How do they do this?
10: Well, they're illegally selling stickers, like let's say a SpongeBob sticker, for $25. And if you buy that sticker, they will give you marijuana. And it's not legal to do that. It isn't illegal. That's why our police are down there every day shutting them down. Uh, and and we're assessing points. How we're going to do this is we're we're changing our point system to, to assess more points every time they get shut down for illegally selling marijuana. And eventually, we can lock down their businesses. Johnson City last week just locked down one of their businesses. The High Standard, I believe, is locked down for a year now, and they can't do any business for one year. So once these stores realize what the consequences are, we're hoping they'll start obeying the law.
0: Well, yeah, just, and when I talk to the uh, the people, whether it's in Endicott or or Binghamton or wherever, or even outside the triple cities, elsewhere in Broome County, to me, they just kind of laugh about it. Like, they say, we're not doing anything wrong, and then I always say, well, can then I can you do an interview and they it's like oh we're not doing anything wrong but we're not going to do any interviews well can i talk to the the big guy they always say there's a big guy and it's like oh. yeah and it's like well different versions of that so i give them my information and ask the big guy to call me and he never does like the person who actually apparently tells him how to operate but i just find it i find that strange don't you
10: Oh, yeah, because it is definitely illegal, and they know it's illegal. But the thing is, the money they're making is so much more than, at at the moment, the fines they're getting that they're saying it's worth it to them. But once we start shutting them down, because we can confiscate their marijuana and we can shut them down for the day, but until we can shut them down for a whole year, they're going to keep doing it because they make good money on it. There's a lot of money in it. And until we get a dispensary where people can buy it legally – they're going to continue to, to uh, service these organizations, but we're working on a number of things to cut down on this type of um, facility on our Washington Avenue, for example. So it, about it how, how, many,
0: how many of these outlets, these gifting outlets, do you think may be operating even now on Washington Avenue?
10: I think three to four. There was four, but I think one is closed down now, so there's still three. And that, that's a large number on just three blocks.
0: Yeah. Well, and I know, obviously, some people over the age of 21 don't have a big problem with it. But still, as the the efforts go forward to revitalize the business district along Washington Avenue, maybe some of those shops really aren't that conducive to, to the future vision for for the avenue.
10: Yes, and that is something that we are considering working with code on. I don't know exactly what we're going to do in the future, but that has been uh, a topic that has been discussed. We have uh, a crime prevention through Environmental Design Committee that has uh, police fire code, just like Binghamton does, and that has been one thing that has been brought up in our committee meetings.
0: Speaking with Endicott Mayor Linda Jackson, one thing that will be coming up next week is a sort of a town hall meeting dealing with the uh, imperium lithium ion battery factory and we will talk in more in depth about this uh session on monday on the program with shayla shupretti he'll be on the program on monday to talk about the meeting but i, I think that he and and you want to get the word out that uh, that town hall session is coming up next week
10: Yes, you know we had a great relationship with IBM in the community for a long time. They were very community minded, did a lot for us. And Imperium, I had a I had a, a meeting yesterday with one of their representatives. Imperium would also like to do that. I'm sure that Phoenix and Ubiquity would also. But right now I'm talking to Imperium about it. They want to be part of the community. Uh, some one of their representatives wants to join a couple of our co- village committees. They. He lives in the village, so he can, and they want to be involved in helping us as a village and kind of bridging the gap between us and our our campus plaza. Uh, our our industrial campus. So I think it's grand that they're having this town hall. They want people to come in and meet them as human beings, to meet them one-on-one and to just simply talk. They can ask questions or they can ask about jobs or they can ask about about anything they want just to plain meet them. And I think it's very important that they're putting forth this effort, and it's going to be at the auditorium at the McKinley 4 to 6 on Tuesday, December 6th, and that, that auditorium is just off of uh, North Street. You can go in there in executive circle and park your car behind the school somewhere in there, and it's going to be open to the whole public. And I'm just hoping that a lot of people will come in and actually meet these gentlemen. I think once they meet them and they talk to them, they can make them feel more part of the community. I think it's going to be great.
0: And as mentioned, Shaley Shepretti will be on Monday morning's program to uh, talk more about what's been going on with the uh, overall project and also about the town hall meeting that will be taking place on Tuesday from 4 to 6. At any rate, thanks for the update. Was there anything else you wanted to mention?
10: No, I think that's pretty much it for today, Bob, but thanks so much.
0: All right. Keep me posted.
10: I will. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: It's 9.52, live and local. I'm Bob Joseph. Always, it seems, a few questions on news radio. WNBF, one FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Hey. Joseph Live.
8: I used to start to make a mistake. Let's think of each other and hesitate.
0: News Radio, WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM. There's no need to act foolishly. And streaming at WNBF.com. If you have thoughts, by all means, call us at 607-772-1290. You can also send your thoughts to bob at WNBF.com and select emails will be read on the air. And of course, as you might expect, when you submit email to a fine radio station like WNBF, as you might expect, it becomes property, our property forever. And we'll use it as we. <laughs> <laughs> we feel fit, so it's just, you know, if you submit something, that's that's your gift to us. A sort of gifting email. Alex Jones, this just in, Alex Jones has filed for bankruptcy. Yep. Alex Jones, I would say, not a surprise. He owes about $1.5 billion to the Sandy Hook families in Connecticut, so now the InfoWars founder, Alex Jones, today officially filed for bankruptcy. The flash apparently official. That's the latest. Right here at News Radio, WNBF. First. I'm Bob Joseph, live at 10 o'clock on WNBF.
1: Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. Here's Kathy White.
2: Well, the winds have died down substantially for today, mostly sunny, a little bit milder too, as well the high in the low to mid forties. Be getting a little bit colder for the weekend, and wins picking up again. Officials with the Broom County Community College say they're in conversation with Binghamton University about the possibility of integrating SUNY Broom and BU. A news release from the Front Street campus yesterday announced the University and Community College have begun to explore the potential for significantly enhancing our existing partnerships by developing new integrations between the two institutions. There are already some partnerships in place. For example, right now, BCC students can take some courses with their credits transferred to the four-year programs at BU and have a fast track for transfers to the university. More details about the talks may come after the holidays. While the news release says the proposed new structure will keep all jobs intact, earlier this year, SUNY Broome President Dr. Kevin Drum announced his plans to retire next July. A former physician assistant is facing up to a year in the Broome County Jail after being found guilty of forcibly touching a patient. The Broom County District Attorney's Office has announced a jury in Binghamton City Court has found 68-year-old Alan Geller of Binghamton guilty of forcible touching. While working as a PA, Geller groped the breast of a 35-year-old woman while she was being given her physical exam. Federal prosecutors say they still don't know the real identity of an Owego man who has been using the ID of a homeless United States Army veteran in order to obtain hundreds of thousands of dollars in assistance. The U.S. Attorney's Office has announced the sentencing of John Doe to four years, nine months in federal prison for getting $838,457.78 in supplemental Social Security income and state benefits used the homeless man's identity for 22 years. Officials say John Doe's true identity has yet to be confirmed. Gas prices in the greater Binghamton area might go up as one of the price control measures in place over the spring and summer has run out. The temporary cap on Broome County's tax on gasoline due to the soaring prices resulting from Russia's invasion of Ukraine is over. While New York's suspension of its 16 cents a gallon gas tax put in place June 1st is scheduled to end December 31st, Broom ceiling ended on Thursday. Broom County Executive Jason Gardner says the county was able to take the $1.5 to $2 million budget hit for the temporary tax cap because its sales tax revenues were up compared to a year earlier. The Binghamton area's list of film credits is continuing to grow with the release yesterday of a new horror film that was shot in Johnson City in February of last year. The Harbinger uses such Broome County landmarks as the Goodwill Theater and Shore Family Firehouse Stage on Willow Street in Johnson City and the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena in Binghamton as the filming locations. The film is being distributed by XYZ Films and premiered at the Montreal Fantasia International Film Festival. It was released on Vision video and in demand yesterday. A national used car dealer is being fined in order to change some of its marketing practices in a settlement with New York State and other state attorneys general. New York Attorney General Letitia James says CarMax fails to disclose open safety recalls on their used vehicles to customers before they sold them. Some of those recalls included serious safety concerns with vital equipment including brakes, airbags, and fuel pumps. The $1 million agreement with CarMax will require the company to give access to information to consumers about any open safety recalls. New York will receive over $53,770.00 total settlement agreement funds. A different kind of jolly old elf will be roaming the streets of Binghamton tomorrow rather than the saintly old gentleman upon whose lap little children perch to reveal their Christmas wishes. The annual SantaCon celebration will be overtaking downtown Binghamton tomorrow, featuring revelers in various provocative holiday costumes. People who are planning to do holiday shopping in the city center tomorrow may want to keep in mind the increased activity that for the past several years has begun by midday and continued into the night with a large concentration of mainly college-age students in the area of the downtown bars. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast mostly sunny today, high in the low to mid 40s. Increasing clouds tonight, a 30% chance of showers, low in the mid 30s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF WMBF.com and 92.1 FM.
0: News Radio, WNBF, with Bob Joseph live on a Friday morning, December 2nd. We have plenty to talk about today. I'll be on till noon. We'll be taking your phone calls later this hour. But coming up, a special guest in the studio from WSKG, Public Media. Brian Fry will give us a preview of a special documentary film he's been working on for many years. It's called The Salt Babies, a difficult topic, but a story that must be told. And it is now finally going to be told after several decades. It will premiere on WSKG Public TV on Monday evening, and the man responsible for this Major project is with us in the studio. We will talk with Brian Fry coming right up here on News Radio WNBF 92 1 FM 1290 AM and streaming at WNBF.com.
2: Now
1: that you're missing the deadline, get started today with a free five minute questionnaire at refundspro.com. That's refunds with an S, pro.com. If you own a small to medium sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The employee retention credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at refundspro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's refunds with an S Pro dot com.
0: It's ten fourteen at News Radio WNBF, WNBF.com. I'm Bob Joseph, and we are pleased to have in the studio Brian Fry from WSKG Public Media. Welcome back. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Good morning. We'll talk about your newest project in a moment. For those not familiar with you, a little bit of your background. First of all, you grew up here in Broome County. In fact, I just did a quick check before, about two minutes before you walked in the <laughs> studio. First name, the first time your name appeared in... In the local newspaper, I think, was just over 50 years ago when you won the Cappy Dick contest. I think you were nine <laughs> years old. Oh, my gosh, I don't even remember that. So congratulations, <laughs> belated congratulations on your 1972 victory when Cappy Dick, that was a thing for me when I was a kid, too. I never never had the courage to submit an entry to the newspaper contest was in the sunday comics but i'll have to look that up to see what it was i submitted yeah but, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> some his history you know yeah. back in the early 70s but indeed you you grew up right here in broom county tell us a little bit about growing up in in the binghamton area yeah i grew up uh, mostly on the
11: south side of on circuit drive behind uh, benjamin franklin elementary school i went to high school at bington north graduated in 1980 um and uh, yeah, I, I love Bington. That's why I enjoy doing what I do, is because I uh, get to tell stories about the place I grew up, I get to tell stories about my hometown, my my father grew up here actually grew up on the same street circuit drive and so a lot my love for history is because of listening to the stories he told one of the first documentaries i did was about the 1935 flood and one of the reasons i did that it was because i remember my dad telling me stories about what it was like during that flood and uh, how high the water got near their street and um, he was a world war ii vet and another documentary I did very early on was called The Valley to Victory, where I had the privilege to interview a group of uh, southern-tier World War II veterans who were in Pearl Harbor the day that it was attacked. Um, and so, yeah, I've so been able to tell these stories. And Salt Baby is another one that I grew up hearing the story and for years wanted to tell this. But it's like you said, it's a tough story to tell.
0: When you were growing up, did you have any intention of becoming a documentary filmmaker? <laughs>
11: you know, it's funny. I, uh, For a long time, I wanted to be a forest ranger. When I first started uh, applying to colleges, <laughs> I wanted to go out west and be a forest ranger. But then, when I was in high school and co- in college, I worked at the movie theaters around here. I worked at the Oakdale Mall, and I worked at the cinema in Endicott. It's not there anymore. The Crest, almost every theater. I uh, worked selling tickets and running projectors, and I would be able to stand in the back of the theater every night and, and watch the audience reaction to certain parts of the movies and I just grew to love filmmaking and I already had loved history and so it kind of evolved when I was in college that I thought I'd try to marry the two whom I love for history
0: and filmmaking. Did you have any early fascination with news documentaries whether they were documentaries presented by TV networks they they were actually done with some frequency some decades ago, the major TV networks would actually do serious documentaries that sometimes would air in prime time or even further back some of the old newsreels. Did you pay attention to, to some of the documentaries of, of the past?
11: Yeah, it's funny. That's a great question because my, one of my earliest memories of falling in love with documentaries
0: remember Mike Wallace used to do this series called Biography? I do. Yeah. That was one of my personal favorites and i i enjoyed watching many of them as they they re, were replayed on on cable i i'm not sure if it was on the history channel or arts and entertainment but i i just found even watching them decades later incredibly
11: interesting oh yeah and it's so well done and and you know mike wallace he's a, he's a legend and so i used to go into the resource center at north high school on my uh my period off and i used to put they used to have a, a ton of these mike wallace Documentaries, biographic documentaries on 16 millimeter film, and the research, search librarian in there showed me how to to thread the the film up, and I used to sit and watch these over and over. I remember specifically one on Helen Keller and one on. Theodore roosevelt and i just you know you can still see a lot of them if you go on youtube today and and just the way they were done the way he i love writing the narration and the way he would narrate them the way they were written i just uh, I, i'm trying to think if, who was the original producer i want to say it was whopper it was he was a really big uh, producer at that time i can't remember his first name right now but um yeah that was that was probably my first when i really fell in love with that kind of that news
0: style documentary telling a story uh, about history at what point did you finally wind up applying for a job at WSKG?
11: So, I, when I got out of college, I worked at WBNG for a short time in the news department. I, basically, I was running camera. And so, then, you helped
0: uh, with this board of, of Action News from a technical side?
11: Right, right. In fact, I used to, every once in a while, uh, Action News would re edit their open remember that action news theme and open and i would go in uh probably every three or four months and i would re-edit the open that was my job and i filmed commercials for a, a lot of time I, but I, I did learn early on that i didn't think that um shooting going out on and shooting you know a car accidents and things like that uh, being in that's a really hard job and i give uh, give credit to all of the people who do that who are news photographers that is a that's a tough job but after that after i left there i started at WSKG as a part-timer uh, working in the auction and 1989 was my first time there and then somebody left in 1990 and um, I started working on the membership drives and auctions and I went to uh, uh, one of the uh, the vice president of production there one day and said hey I had an idea for a documentary and they they let me do it and I've been doing it ever since that was 1997 I think and so I 25 films later I still have the privilege and the pleasure of making them and and luckily, they haven't, the public hasn't grown, grown tired of them yet, and I enjoy doing them. So when you started, where was the station located? It was. They had just moved to uh, Gates Road, where they are now. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, right before that, they were out in Conklin at the Donnelly School. So, and you, you probably know the history of SKG. It's been it's, it was in um, Endwell for a while, at the uh, old Hooper School, old, which is now the McDonald's right, on East Main right, Street. Right, and then I think they moved uh, to Donnelly School for a while, and then they bought the building in 1988. I believe that that we're
0: in now. I didn't real well. Time flies. I I didn't think it had been more than three decades, but that's that's accurate.
11: Well, and some of your listeners probably know that building that we're in was uh, the uh, or no. What was the Willow Point Elementary
1: School?
0: That's right. I had actually forgotten about that, even though I've been in the building several times since it's become WSKG. But I had forgotten what it originally was used for. Yeah, our studio was uh, is, was the gym. Fascinating. Now, for people who don't know, at the moment you're serving as. The Interim President and CEO of WSKG Public Media because Greg Catlin just a few weeks ago officially retired.
11: Yeah, Greg, who had a long and wonderful career in broadcasting, decided to retire, and uh, they asked me if I would fill in. uh, This is the second time I've actually filled in as the interim. Uh, And, um, you know, it's a privilege to do it. I love the community. I love the station. Uh, I love what I do, so I'm not interested in the CEO job full-time. And also, I think there are people out there who could do it much better than I could. Um, so we're in the middle of a search right now, and uh, looking forward. It's always, you know, it's always exciting when you have a change. But you know, Greg was there for five and a half years. I believe he did a great job, and we all wish him well in his retirement.
0: Well, I was when he announced several months ago, publicly announced that his he uh, planned to retire. I I felt good and bad, sort of, uh, because he and i are around the same age and I, I followed his early broadcast career before he came to binghamton when he was in, in elmira i always like to say "Yeah, that that hairdo you had when you were uh, working <laughs> on elmira tv before even uh, bng hired you to become elmira bureau chief when they had such a thing i've got video of you uh, at the other station and he, he kept saying Bob, don't release that video. <laughs> so I've got on some VHS cassette gathering dust, I've got got a, a some video images of, of Greg Catlin in his early years, his uh, formative years in, in TV news. And uh, who knows, one of these days it's liable to show up in, in some form. It anyway, always does, right? It always it, shows up somewhere. I was going to say, you, th- you think that people have forgotten it, and then, hmm on twitter on youtube really anyway it's ten twenty four. we are speaking live with brian fry from wskg public media and now talking about uh, this major project the salt babies which will have its tv premiere its broadcast com- uh, premiere on on monday night a very very challenging and difficult and important topic yeah, this one was challenging. I actually
11: started this project uh, probably about 10 years ago. I was actually, when the press used to be over on, uh, not far from us, on uh, uh, Bessel Parkway, uh, I used to go over there and they they were always really helpful and let me go through their photo files and, and scan things. And about 10 years ago, I would think I was scanning something for another project. It may have been one of the, either the George F. Johnson or, or IBM, or Thomas Watson projects I did. And they uh, showed me a folder for the Salt Babies, and they had some amazing photographs, and so I scanned them at the time. And I'm glad I did, um, because uh, you know a lot of those photographs have been moved around, and a lot of them have, did end up at the Historical Society. It was a gr- gracious donation by the press to make sure that those very historic um, and important archival photographs from our region were preserved. And so I, I started thinking about the project then, but gosh, it's, it's such a tough subject and the last thing i wanted to do was to resurrect any bad feelings but like you said it is it, it's an important story it's probably one of the one of unfortunately the time when this area was put in the worldwide news when this incident happened in march of 1962 it, w- it was all over the world because it was such a tragic event and so so it took me a while to kind of really wrap my head around it and how to tell it in a respectful way. But I, I finally got to the point where I thought that I could do it in, in a way that uh, told the story about exactly what happened, what um, the breakdown in process at the, the hospital at the time. You know, and this happened 20 years before anybody had ever heard of UHS, so this was, you know, the history of Bington General Hospital. It was a city hospital for uh, eighty years, or actually almost a hundred years, before it, you know, became to went to UHS and was in private. But. Um, It was named City Hospital until about 1959, and then it became Bington General Hospital in 1960 when they were doing uh, some uh, restoration in in the hospital, reconstruction. Uh, And, you know, some systems broke down and some bad things happened.
0: And ultimately, a seemingly um, real simple mistake of of mistaking salt for sugar uh, resulted in in the deaths of babies, Um, some babies who ingested the baby formula that was made with with salt instead of sugar they they did survive but unfortunately several did not
11: yeah there was altogether there was 14 babies who uh, ingested this uh, salt formula Um, six did die and the rest did survive but uh, the story kind of tells about what led up to this happening and anybody who was you know alive or you know above five or six years old at that time remember this story and i've talked to dozens and dozens of people who when i mentioned this they say, oh yeah we, we remember that or their parents talked about it years later um and so like i said it's a sad story and there are still some families live in the area and that's you know one of the things that i was trying to make sure that i was being respectful and i, I didn't want to 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 bring up any, any any bad hurt feelings but um i did talk to a lot of the families and uh, got their permission uh, as best i could when i could track people down and i had the cooperation from several families with photographs and stories and i had this film is completely narrated. I did not do any on-camera interviews. Uh, I I originally did early on, but then I kind of changed my focus and changed the way I wanted to do it. But I did use uh, some of those stories that people told me, either through phone calls or through interviews
0: that I did do in the narration of the film. I was uh, fortunate to be able to see a screening of this uh, not too long ago at WSKG and Vestal, and I I was impressed at the way you approached it. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I've seen not all of your documentary films, but met many, if not most of them. So I know in many ways how you tend to to approach different subjects. But but there are are always different ways, including the 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 most. Um, recent one before this about the tragic fire that happened here in downtown binghamton and that too turned out to be a remarkable telling of another binghamton tragedy again a story difficult to tell and perhaps maybe a little bit easier because more time had elapsed but still the fact that in that case so many uh, girls and young women died in in that factory fire on on water street that was a a tough story and also the approach there was um i found a a remarkable and and unique approach to tell a story including some elements that previously weren't known by the public yeah you know it's funny i think that um
11: what i learned from those uh, mike wallace documentaries that were made years ago was uh, stories are always about people and that's what I've tried to do with all my films—is tell the story of an event that had an impact on an area, but tell it through the well, how it impacted people and the people involved. And I and I, I I hope I did that with the fire film last year. And that's what I tried to do with this film with the Salt Babies—is talk about the a couple of the people at General Hospital at the time, um, the some of the parents uh, and the nurses, and kind of give a little bit of background of where. Uh, things we're at as far as uh, I, I talk about breastfeeding in in this film and how in 1962 uh, which is the year i was born and i was not breastfed and most children in america in 1962 weren't breastfed oh, i think i use a, the statistic in there about 30 percent of american babies were breastfed in 1962 now in 2022 it's like 80 percent which is remarkable and so at the time a lot of the babies who were in general hospitals nursery at that time were being fed formula because they they were told that that was more convenient and it was just as healthy as mother's milk
0: well and, society was changing and and also there was the component there was uh an industry developing that that uh, stood to make a lot of money right. as more and more women made that choice.
11: Right. And so it, that was one of the things that helped set up this, what occurred. But that, that was one of many things that, that happened. And, you know, uh, medical care has changed so much <laughs> since this incident 60 years ago. But one of the things that I, that I hope p- people take away from this film is that, you know, when you're in the hospital, you are... You're in a vulnerable position, and the, I believe that the patient's voice should always be the loudest voice in the room. And sometimes that's difficult, you know, when when you're feeling scared and vulnerable. Uh, it, it's good to have an, an advocate uh, in the room with you. And I'm hoping that that's something that people take away from this film.
0: It's a very intimidating, intimidating environment for most of us. Absolutely, uh, I mean, whether it's just in, uh, going to a local hospital or even or a hospital out of town, just like where am I? And I, I, I enter um, many many hospitals, and immediately I have a feeling, physically and emotionally, of being just totally lost, totally out of my element. So it's a uh, it's very, very uncomfortable for most people. The uh, uh, approach you also employed here begins by telling the uh, the stories and and introducing the individuals who played key roles and including a, a nurse who whose life never was the same again after what transpired in 1962 and also the the story of of the man who was running Binghamton General Hospital and I was fascinated because years later dec- uh, at least a couple decades later uh, I got to know a little bit and cover Dr. Jason Moyer, and I had not realized that Dr. Moyer had actually been in charge of Binghamton General T- Hospital at the time of the 1962 tragedy.
11: Right, and Jason Moyer is a name that a lot of people listening today may still remember. Jason Moyer grew up uh, in Binghamton. He actually grew up in Hillcrest, not far from where I live, and then went to serve in the Navy during World War II and came out and hit a successful practice over on Oak Street and then the, the hospital came and asked him in 1957, when he was only 37 years old, to, to run the medical division of the hospital, and he, and he did. And he was there in 1962 uh, when, when this happened, and, and so, so much of the burden of what happened and, fell on him. And Jason Moyer would end up staying with the hospital and help guiding General Hospital through its merger with Wilson Hospital, Ideal Hospital, in 1981, that would form uh, UHS.
0: And as I recall, covering aspects of that story, that was not an easy process. It was extremely complicated and at times contentious. And Dr. Moyer and some of the other administrators who were involved at the time, along with local government officials, uh, they heard from a lot of local residents who were not enthusiastic about the plan. Oh, you're right, Bob. I, I remember reading several
11: news stories at the time, uh, in letters to the editor at the time, and they really did blame Jason Moyer, selling, telling him he sold out General Hospital. They believed that the hospital would never be the same. But you know, he stuck to, to his conviction, and he was a, he was a guy, from all that I understand, that, that really wanted the best for the hospital, wanted the best for the the medical staff in the community, and I think over time, but he's been proven right.
0: Our conversation is with Brian Fry. His latest documentary film, "The Salt Babies," will premiere on Monday evening on WSKG Public Media. What kind of feedback did you receive after that um, that screening? Because uh, several dozen people had the opportunity to um, to view the final production. Uh, Tell me a bit about the the feedback you received, and generally, is it the type of feedback you expected?
11: Yeah, no, thanks for asking, and and thanks for coming that night. I, um, I did. We had about 67 people or so that night there, and... We and I had invited a couple of the families who, um, whose parents were involved and who themselves were involved, actually in the incident. And they, uh, I was pleased with their response. They 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 knew it was a tough story and obviously a very personal story for them. But they they were gracious to tell me they thought that I told it in a respectful way, in a way that tells an important. Uh, period in history an important story though though certainly tragic and sad but i was happy that they felt that i treated it respectfully
0: one thing also of note is you you were still putting the finishing touches on on that production almost up until the final minute of the the screening (laughs) yeah it will
11: come no secret to anybody who knows me that i i will keep playing with these films until somebody tells me to stop i i think that that's uh, from what i understand that's kind of part of the uh, the artistic process but yeah I, I have to have an air date in order for me to stop because you know you keep looking at it and even afterwards when i look at some of these films afterwards i always think oh, why did i put that in or why did i say that but um usually over the years when i take a look at them i think oh, okay hopefully i made some pretty good decisions. I was really happy with the response after the last year when the fire film aired. Um, I was really happy to be able to restore a lot of photographs that we used at the end of that one. And in this film, I was able to get some... Uh, animations that help uh, talk, show really what this peritoneal dialysis, this process that was used, that really saved the lives of the other babies who uh, drank the the fluid, the salt fluid, and um, and so I think I hopefully that helps to illustrate the film and the what was going on even better.
0: That was another aspect I really had not been familiar with. I mean, as tragic as this was, um, certainly several more babies very easily could have died were it not for the prompt action and and certainly the person who was uh the foremost expert in the united states at the time to handle this kind of a crisis was nowhere near binghamton so uh it it fell upon somebody who had never done this type of thing before to um to come I, i believe from the albany area to uh to do the necessary to save lives right and I think that's another
11: really important part of this story is that beyond the the tragedy of the babies that lost their lives it is also a story of heroics of uh, the hospital um, staff who as soon as they realized what was going on jumped into action they were able to at the time salt poisoning there were very few cases of salt poisoning in the United States I think there was maybe two or three and this was happening on the mass scale. And but uh, there was a uh, a librarian for the hospital in the room when they were talking and she recalled a um, a story that was written in the New England Journal of Medicine. They contacted Lawrence Finberg, who was actually Johns Hopkins uh, Medical in uh, Baltimore at the time. He contacted somebody, John Kiley, in um, Albany at the time. He rushed to Binghamton with the assistance of the New York State Police to get here. Worked 36 hours straight to help save these infants. So, And then Finberg came up from Baltimore and and all of this is illustrated in the film and it's beyond the tragedy like I said there are heroes both at Bington general at the time and in other parts of the community that uh, in other parts of the, the nation who helped save these infants lives and so that's why I hope to illus- I hope I illustrate in this film is that it, it it's a broad ranging story beyond the tragedy but uh, it is also shows you that uh, what people can do Uh, and will do to to save people's lives. And that's really what
0: the the medical community is all about, right? One of the interesting facets of this, to me especially as a journalist and as a broadcaster, it's just sort of a a very trivial aspect of the aftermath of, of the tragedy at Binghamton General Hospital, is that Dan Rather was sent from New York City to cover this story for the CBS Evening News. I believe this was his first official assignment for CBS Evening News. Yeah, actually Dan Rather writes
11: about it in one of his first books, I think, uh, and that I read when I was in college. I think it's called The Camera Never Blinks. And he talks about how it was his first assignment for CBS News. He came to Binghamton. He doesn't remember it fondly, not only because the story was sad, but because he had difficulty getting here. He had difficulty remembering how to pron- pronounce Binghamton. And, uh, but it, it was uh, and he's mentioned it several times. I had the opportunity to meet him once years ago, and I, I I mentioned it to him. He was very gracious and very kind, and he said, oh, I remember it very well. He goes, I don't remember it fondly as far as his the work he did, but he remembers the story.
0: Well, and after he returned to New York City, and, and his boss, I think, commended him on the basic content of the story, but I think the upshot was, uh, and Dan, the next time, that we send you out on a story, make sure that you pronounce the name of the community correct, and which <laughs> probably was advice that uh, has held him in good stead since 1962. Yeah. As far as uh, the debut of the Salt Babies on WSKG, it will be on Monday evening? It's
11: Monday evening at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., and uh, there is a re-air. Also, I believe it's December seventeenth. Uh, it's six thirty. I'll have to check the listing to make sure. But um, but yeah, that's uh, and I hope I, I hope people enjoy it. Understand that you know it is a tough was a tough tough story to tell. But I hope they believe that uh, you know it is
0: an important story to tell and that it was done done respectfully. And after people view this, you're probably going to have mixed feelings. Mixed feelings, sadness. And anger, and probably a few other feelings. I mean, the the retelling of this story six decades later is still going to um, bring up those feelings, which I think is perfectly appropriate for the telling of um, a story in American tragedy.
11: Yeah, and, I, and honestly, I, I I do worry about that because, you know, I think it's easier sometimes if a, a national producer comes into town and starts telling a story and then they leave. But for me, I, I take it personally because this is my community, this is my hometown, and I, I love it. And um, I'm telling these stories because I think it's important history, I, I, and I try to tell it where we all learn a lesson from it. Um, but But I... The newspaper covered this event for years afterwards and i remember in my research i read a story that was from 25 years after the event and there was a letter to the editor from somebody who said why did you tell this story in the newspaper uh all you're doing is bringing up bad history and i I have to admit that stuck with me maybe that's why i i do worry a little bit about this And, and then i and I do hope people know that I tell the story because I think it's important history, and I hope I tell it respectfully. I mean, I obviously use names because I think that's important, but um, but hopefully people will understand that, you know, it's a story that's important to tell, but, uh, you know, sometimes they're not always easy.
0: And that happens even with um, breaking news. Be- I mean, whether you're covering a story, say the first draft of history with with breaking news and having to deal with difficult issues where where people have been hurt or lives have been lost, it's a tough thing. And then you know to to revisit whether it's a month or a year or a decade or even six decades later. You, as a journalist, as a person who whose profession is to tell stories. And as you said, um, I think almost all of us who who choose the profession are very aware that we're telling stories of real people. Right. And that is... is
11: a lot of the stories i 've told i 've told two stories about tragic floods. the floods of one thousand nine hundred and thirty five and seventy two were fifty and more than two dozen people died in like last year when I told the story about uh, the thirty one men and women who were killed in the clothing factory fire it is uh, It is part of the territory um, I, I do take it seriously uh, and, I, and I really do want to tell them in a way that I think pays honor to the people involved. And, you know, this is one of those stories where, like we said from the beginning, it, it, it really did take me 10 years to kind of be able to wrap my head around it and become comfortable with being able to tell a story the way I thought I could tell it in a respectful way. What is your next project? So. Right now, I'm working on two other ones, one called North to Freedom, which is about the Underground Railroad in our region, which a lot of people have asked me to do. And, and you, as you know, the Underground Railroad is much more than just a story about places where people hit. It's about the movement that happened around uh, leading up to the Civil War, around the rise of abolitionism. So. That one. And I'm also telling a story about the uh, carousels. They're, they are refurbishing the carousel over at Ross Park. And um, I think actually I saw it on your, your site. You were over there a couple of weeks ago when they were taking the horses off and they are taking them out to Connecticut to refurbish them. And they're going to move the carousel to a different location in the park. So I'm going to follow that whole process, but then use that to jump back and tell the history of and the impact of the
0: carousels in this area. Well, and I need to, in the interest of full disclosure, I've been following the plans for restoration of the Ross Park carousel for, I think, about seven years. This has been a slow-motion progress project, and I've been in touch with... Uh, mayor jared cram and also uh, the zoo director even though technically the the whole project is actually a city of binghamton project so over the last few years i've been every once in a while popping up there are they doing anything and trying to monitor well as you mentioned uh, following the screening of your latest documentary you mentioned about the carousel the restoration and the fact that the crew had come from Connecticut to um, uh, take take away the parts so that's where I was the following morning and <laughs> I because I for whatever reason was unaware of that and and so by the time I got there, I, all I got was pictures of the empty carousel area where all the uh, horses and chariots had, had once stood. And, but that was responsible, or that's what pr- uh, prompted the actual story, that now the restoration finally is moving forward after um, a lengthy process where they've been working to get state historic preservation Office uh, permission for the plan.
11: Yeah, it's an exciting project. Actually, you, like you said, it's been going on for a while, and the city of Bington's actually been really helpful in keeping me up to date with when things are happening. Though it's been difficult for them also that with the it was actually supposed to be taken apart two years ago, right before the pandemic, but then everything got delayed. And um, but then finally, just a few weeks ago, they were able to get the group from Connecticut that's going to do the restoration here to dismantle the get the horses and the chariots and everything off that they're going to refurbish and it takes about a year or so and from what i understand this this group is very good they've been involved with the restoration of the carousels at, at a recreation park and i think maybe one or two of the other carousels and so it's going to be really interesting to follow the process and to be able to use that to jump back and talk about carousel history and about george f johnson a little bit and about how the carousels ended up in this area i know i'm, I'm excited because growing up in this area I've, I've ridden every one of those carousels
0: as have i I am really looking forward to that. And that will be uh, certainly a happier story to tell, the history of what ultimately became the carousel capital of the world yeah and one of the things
11: we'd love to do is to get the community involved because unfortunately there's not a ton of photographs at the historical society of carousels it's just one of those things where they have some historic photographs but not a lot and so we're hoping to do a call out to the community of people who have photographs of themselves or their family or their kids or grandkids on the carousel uh, send them or even old eight millimeter maybe 16 millimeter film send it my way and i will hopefully be able to use it in the film so that is my first call out to people who are listening who would like to get involved in helping to tell the story about the carousels uh give me a call or send me an email at wskg and and th- this will be a fun
0: project brian fry's documentary the salt babies will be presented on wskg public tv monday evening at nine o'clock brian thank you oh thank you for having me bob it's always great to see you it's ten forty eight you're listening to news radio w n b f ninety two one f m twelve ninety a m and streaming at w n b f dot com hi 1053, Bob Joseph live on News Radio, WNBF, and WNBF.com on a Friday morning. We'll be taking your calls at 607 772 1290. Or if you'd like, you can send an email to Bob at WNBF.com. Forecast for today mostly sunny, high 43, increasing clouds tonight with a chance of showers. Low 35, tomorrow cloudy, some showers during the day, it'll be breezy, high 49. Then Sunday, mostly sunny, high 39. Right now it's 34 in downtown Binghamton at News Radio WNBF. You're watching.
7: Hi, this is Savannah Guthrie with an urgent story developing right now in every state and county across America. Despite having more than enough food available in this country, there are nearly 16 million kids, that's one in five children, struggling with hunger. They often don't even know where their next meal is coming from. And the worst part is, this has been going on for years. There's no excuse for it, and that's why Feeding America is doing its best to put an end to childhood hunger. As a nationwide network of food banks, Feeding America engages local communities in solving hunger by collecting surplus food, giving hope to hungry kids and their families all across our nation. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank. You can start by going to feedingamerica.org to learn more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America.
1: A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.
11: Imagine a world where bullying isn't considered a normal part of childhood.
2: A world where I'm not afraid to go to school. (laughs) To speak out.
8: To be myself. Loser. A world where I'm not afraid to be caught alone. Come on, punk.
7: We have the power to stop
10: the bullying. Speak out. Speak up. Educate. Find out what to look for and how you can make a difference at bullying.org. Bullying is not
0: kids being kids.
10: It's not about good homes or bad homes. It's
7: not a normal part of growing up. I shouldn't be afraid to get on the school bus. To turn on my computer. I I'll walk to my locker. Did you know that a bully will stop his or her behavior in 10 seconds when their
10: peers speak up?
12: Use your voice. Hey, leave
10: him alone. We have the power to stop bullying.
0: Find out more at bullying. bullying.org.
10: Bullying.org
0: you're not alone.
3: Where you're not alone. Where you're, you're not alone. News Radio 1290.
0: WNBF 1058 with Bob Joseph live on a Friday morning. We'll go to the phones. George from West Colesville. Good morning. You're on.
3: Yeah, hello there. Hi. Uh, I was listening to the radio, and they talked about Ross Park, the uh, or the, you know, the yeah, or yeah, there was, uh,
0: the carousel at Ross Park.
3: Right, right well i want you to know when i was a kid i could get under the under the carousel because my dad worked there as a zookeeper
0: yeah and did you get under the carousel very
3: often yeah you know, uh, uh, every every day that i could it was a gold mine
0: why what did you find Money, Lots of cash money from people who...
3: There was money all over from one end of that carousel to the other.
0: That never occurred to me, that that people would lose uh, a lot of coins while going around the carousel every day.
3: Oh, definitely. There was dirt and sawdust under the carousel. All you had to do was crawl in under there, take your arm, wipe it across the sawdust and stuff, and it was loaded.
0: And then you could go out and, and buy ice cream?
3: No, then I went to the Capitol Theater. It was only 25 cents then.
0: Ah, okay. Hey, thanks for sharing the memories, George. I, I appreciate that. It never occurred to me that you could collect a fair amount of cash back in the day under the carousel. At Ross Park. It's eleven o'clock. This is WNBF
1: Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Well,
2: the winds have died down substantially for today, mostly sunny, a little bit milder too, as well the high in the low to mid forties will be getting a little bit colder for the weekend and wind's picking up again. Officials with the Broom County Community College say they're in conversation with Binghamton University about the possibility of integrating SUNY Broom and BU. A news release from the Front Street campus yesterday announced the university and community college have begun to explore the potential for significantly enhancing our existing partnerships by developing new integrations between the two institutions. There are already some partnerships in place. For example, right now BCC students can take some courses with their credits transferred to the four-year programs at BU and have a fast track for transfers to the university. More details about the talks may come after the holidays. While the news release says the proposed new structure will keep all jobs intact, earlier this year, SUNY Broome President Dr. Kevin Drum announced his plans to retire next July. A former physician assistant is facing up to a year in the Broome County Jail after being found guilty of forcibly touching a patient. The Broome County District Attorney's Office has announced a jury in Binghamton City Court has found 68-year-old Alan Geller of Binghamton guilty of forcible touching. While working as a PA, Geller groped the breast of a 35-year-old woman while she was being given her physical exam. Federal prosecutors say they still don't know the real identity of an Owego man who has been using the ID of a homeless United States Army veteran in order to obtain hundreds of thousands of dollars in assistance. The U.S. Attorney's Office has announced the sentencing of John Doe to four years, nine months in federal prison for getting $838,457.78 in supplemental Social Security income and state benefits using the homeless man's identity for 22 years. Officials say John Doe's true identity has yet to be confirmed. Gas prices in the greater Binghamton area might go up as one of the price control measures in place over the spring and summer has run out. The temporary cap on Broome County's tax on gasoline due to the soaring prices resulting from Russia's invasion of Ukraine is over. While New York's suspension of its 16 cents a gallon gas tax put in place June 1st is scheduled to end December 31st. Broom ceiling ended on Thursday. Broom County Executive Jason Garner says the county was able to take the $1.5 to $2 million budget hit for the temporary tax cap because its sales tax revenues were up compared to a year earlier. The Binghamton area's list of film credits is continuing to grow with the release yesterday of a new horror film that was shot in Johnson City in February of last year. The Harbinger uses such Broom County landmarks as the Goodwill Theater and Shore Family Firehouse Stage on Willow Street in Johnson City and the Visions Veterans Memorial Arena in Binghamton as the filming locations. The film is being distributed by XYZ Films and premiered at the Montreal Fantasia International Film Festival. It was released on video and in demand yesterday. A national used car dealer is being fined in order to change some of its marketing practices in a settlement with New York State and other state attorneys general. New York Attorney General Letitia James says CarMax failed to disclose open safety recalls on their used vehicles to customers before they sold them. Some of those recalls included serious safety concerns with vital equipment, including brakes, airbags, and fuel pumps. The $1 million agreement with CarMax will require the company to give Access to information to consumers about any open safety recalls. New York will receive over fifty three thousand seven hundred seventy dollars total settlement agreement funds. A different kind of jolly old elf will be roaming the streets of Binghamton tomorrow, rather than the saintly old gentleman upon whose lap little children perch to reveal their Christmas wishes. The annual Santacon celebration will be overtaking downtown Binghamton tomorrow, featuring revelers in various provocative holiday costumes. People who are planning to do holiday shopping in the city. Center tomorrow may want to keep in mind the increased activity that for the past several years has begun by midday and continued into the night, with a large concentration of mainly college-age students in the area of the downtown bars. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast mostly sunny today, high in the low to mid-40s. Increasing clouds tonight, a 30% chance of showers, low in the mid-30s. This is where news breaks first: News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM.
0: Good morning. This is Bob Joseph live on your Friday at News Radio WNBF. sounds like a pizza commercial. O-O, Domino.
8: Domino."
0: Yeah, they should uh, do that. One of those local places in Johnson City ought to get a memorable jingle and like include say a phone number or something like that so people would know they can call if they want to get a pizza. But Make sure that the phone number is included in the jingles so you would always know that you could call to get your pizza. 1110, good morning. That's uh, just how it works here at WNBF because we have fun on Fridays. Let us go to the phones. Well, I guess we can give the phone number one more time. 607-772-1290. And now, directly to the phones, and Ron in Binghamton. Good morning.
9: Good morning, Bob. Uh, a fine piece with the um, story of the salt babies, and I'm looking forward to watching that documentary. Thank you for having him on. You know, I'm calling today. I will readily admit, uh, probably for the first time, I'll mention my emotional state calling. I'm, I'm feeling anxious and frustrated today, and uh, you may be able to, in fact, point me in a better direction. Um, you know I've been on the radio uh numerous times about something that is important to me and that's getting out the word about CTE or brain damage uh that results from contact sports most importantly football. Um, I have uh, recently seen uh, a print uh, uh print information and also um, on the internet and, and on the Today Show, uh, a, a gentleman, a young man by the name of Harry Miller. He is uh, an offensive lineman for Ohio State University. He has uh, indicated that he is retiring from football after his junior year at Ohio State. Uh, he is suffering from um, depression. He has attempted suicide and, uh, what strikes me about this story and I, I was looking into it and, and his background uh, in high school he was the valedictorian of his senior class. Uh, he has a 4.0 average at Ohio State in mechanical engineering and he is depressed and suicidal. He plays football and has played football for a long time and uh, I've, there is a direct connection, it's been shown, uh, between playing football, uh, the longer you play, uh, the greater the chance of having severe uh, brain damage, which cannot be reversed. This is in association with this sport. Now, the reason I'm frustrated and kind of anxious about talking about this, although I've talked about it before, For example, I watched the Today Show interview. They had three Today Show people on, Carson Daly and the two ladies who were on, and they were interviewing this poor guy. And getting, you know, he was very emotional and such. And and they did not once mention uh, that uh, this could be connected to his football playing. They talked about his depression and how brave he is to come forward, which he is but they did not connect it to football because that is the third rail now of reporting, sports reporting and importing in general. Uh, NBC, uh, which has the Today Show, is uh, connected, of course, with the NFL. And you don't say anything about the sacred sport of football that brings in billions and billions of dollars to, to billionaire NFL owners. You don't say anything about that even though we're sacrificing our youth to it. In the NFL now, you're seeing uh, they're kind of like PSAs. They're coming out and calling themselves the National Football Foundation, uh, promoting uh, youth football uh, like the tobacco companies would promote uh, kids starting to smoke. Uh, Now, my question is, what – can the media do about this? You just had a very fine segment about uh, the salt babies and it's historical. It's ex post facto. This has happened. We've got something going on in which people's heads are buried in the sand. Those people are coaches, school administrators, parents who will not recognize this danger and keep putting kids out on the field younger and younger you've got in fact i sent you uh, uh, not a link i know you don't know the links but the story you might look at it's only a minute long uh peewee uh football with kids getting their heads whacked and it was celebrated in this video on youtube
0: yeah i'm looking at it i see
9: yeah it, it's disgusting what well it know. is
0: but you know I, I think you've lived in this country long enough to know what the story is you know the score Money talks. Bob. No one walks.
9: Okay, Bob. Here's the thing, and I want to please react to this because I, I trust your judgment. Uh, we've got the Binghamton Press and Sun Bulletin. You can open you can open it digitally, or you could get your paper and you look on the front page with an important story like how many nice ice cream shops there are in the Triple Cities, or how many cookies are sold by the Girl Scouts. When can someone get in front of this story and bring it to light? It 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 is something that is ready-made for courageous media people who don't want to touch it. Uh, when are they going to take on the NFL? They're going to take on football and save kids from a devastating problem down the line. Uh, this is happening to younger and younger people. This is Harry Miller's one example. You've got this, this, this is, uh, real, Bob. And, uh, the media doesn't want to touch it because it goes up against the NFL. How about if a local story was done on it? We don't have to go national. How about in, instead of talking about, uh, ME, uh, Maine Endwells going to the state championship football, how about, to, how about a white paper on what football is doing? And how about that showing up in our local uh, reporting? How about somebody going Gannett just
0: laid off more people yesterday. We, we we, We have a newspaper here that's on life support. It's a virtual ghost newspaper now. This story could have potentially seen the light of day locally 10 years ago or 20 years ago when the place was a vibrant news operation. Now... Thanks to the corporate gurus at Gannett, who continue to take, uh, hey, it seems once, twice, three times a year, they they lay off more people at their properties around the country. So in answer to your question, when can we expect that to happen in the Binghamton newspaper? Never.
9: Well, Bob, who produces the local paper? Is that not Gannett? That's what I said,
0: Gannett. Gannett. Call yeah. Gannett in McLean, Virginia and ask him. You can't call Gannett in Binghamton because nobody in Binghamton is gonna answer. Well, I, I shouldn't say Binghamton. nobody. You I believe I let me stand corrected. So the executive editor, I believe, if you leave a voicemail for him, he may actually answer your call, but he's not gonna be able to give you any any good good news that He's going to be able to put his people on it. I mean, look, he's a good guy. Everybody left, the few people left at Gannett, at the Binghamton Gannett unit, wherever it is now. I guess it's more of a virtual unit than a a real physical unit. But everybody left from the executive editor. And the sports writer and the two news reporters, they're all doing the best they can. But the truth is, in answer to your question, when can we expect the type of story you describe in the Binghamton-Gannett paper?
9: Never. So what do you as a media person suggest uh, to deal with the problem and to get it out there so that people don't have their heads buried in the stand? What, What should say, quote-unquote, we do to get this message out. The salt babies is a wonderful story, but that is a historical story. We need to get in front of, of what's happening here and get it out. Uh, it, it, that's what I'm asking. How do we do that?
0: Buy a newspaper, buy the press and sun bulletin, and hire reporters who can do the type of story you propose.
9: Bob, you're you're really skirting the issue. Wow, I mean, <laughs> what do you want so- me to say?
0: I told I, I I can't answer it any better. I said never. If you and and again, it's not because the people who are left at Gannett in Binghamton don't agree with everything you said. They may very well agree on everything you've said and more. They don't have the resources to do the project that you are proposing.
9: So I get the digital version of the uh, Press and Sun Bulletin, and I should just be satisfied with knowing what where to get the best speedy, how many cookies are sold by the Girl Scouts, and the best places to eat ice cream. In other words, the newsletter that gets put out here, not the newspaper.
0: Well, your problem isn't with me. Send, send an email or uh, an actual letter or leave a, a voicemail message for the editor and tell him. I don't run the newspaper. You asked me when I think it'll happen in the Press and Sun Bulletin. In my professional opinion, it's not because I'm happy about this. In my opinion, given the fact that the resources now at the newspaper are the lowest they've ever been, and only likely to get worse. So I gave you an answer you don't like, and yet, as Walter Cronkite would say if he were with us, that's the way it is on Friday, December 2nd, 2022.
9: One last thing, Bob, and then I'll get off. Uh, As you probably know, I have had over the last six months guest columns in the Sunday paper on football and uh, the dangers to the brain of our youth uh, with football. So I've been, I've done what I can. I get into the newspaper. Now, we only have an editorial page once a week now on Sunday, and virtually nothing is local. Everything is fed in from Gannett or whatever. So how about, you know, I, I, I don't know. I said I was frustrated and anxious about this call this morning, and you can see why. Uh, uh, people are being harmed by something. And basically, uh, no one is fighting
0: it. Well, again, you know, call, then call Gannett in McLean, Virginia, and tell them you want resources put back into the Binghamton Press and Sun Bulletin so they can report on important stories like this. Well, because that, because the, the resources, again, whether you like it or not, the truth is, the resources to do the type of reporting that you believe should be done right now here in Binghamton, those resources are not available. So the people who do work in any capacity for Gannett here in central New York, they can't control that. They, they work for the corporation called Gannett. So the people who who ultimately can control things and begin to turn things around, they're located in Virginia and go to the Internet. And good luck getting through to anybody at Gannett headquarters. They're not receptive to this. Trust me, I've tried.
9: Well, maybe I'll uh, suggest to the press that I'll work pro bono for them on this story
0: it and then I'll I'll be anxious to see what your report is. I'm not you know I take this issue very seriously. But I I will anxiously await your report in an upcoming Sunday edition of the Press and Sun bulletin. Okay. It's well, an important topic. Point. I'm so, I'm sorry I can't offer you anything that that is more optimistic about a Gannett newspaper in any town whether it's Binghamton or Des Moines or Green Bay or Rochester or well i or, 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 or anywhere you know I mean again there is a situation now we're days away from the newsroom staff at the New York Times from walking out if they don't have a contract by next thursday they're walking out more than a thousand employees just sent a letter to the publisher of the times and to the company's ceo that they're walking out on uh, thursday next week if they don't have a contract now if the new york times is facing a worker walkout in less than a week and you've paid attention gannett yesterday just announced that they're cutting six percent more of their employees which as i told someone last night discussing it, you know, 6% of nothing is nothing. I mean, it's next to nothing. But whatever's left of, of the scrap heap of Gannett's enterprises, more than 200 papers across this country, they're going to be treated to further cuts. And the people, the good people at Gannett, including those here in Binghamton, those who remain, are going to be treated by corporate to a week unpaid furlough at the holidays. So try to understand what the reality is.
9: Well, Bob, I, 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 I understand that. And I understand that we have, you know, Eisenhower spoke about a military industrial complex. We apparently have an NFL media complex. And uh, this story is not going to get out for reasons other than, Then, you know, the uh, lack of of staff at papers is. Well, then call
0: NPR. Maybe NPR is better positioned to be able to do it, but even NPR is reliant on corporate underwriters. Fortunately, NPR, the last I knew, doesn't have the NFL as one of its, on its roster of underwriters. So maybe NPR, well, yeah, call WSKG Public Media. And Brian Fry was here. Um, The TV station doesn't have a a daily news operation, but the radio station does. Call WSKG Public Media. They have reporters who may be able to do a story about the potential inherent dangers of football among very young people in Binghamton. Call WSKG.
9: Well, WSKG, or I should say public TV, did do a wonderful documentary called League of Denial about the NFL's cover-up of CTE. It's out there on YouTube, and anyone listening uh, this morning, if you want to follow up and see something on this, go to YouTube and put in League of Denial, and you'll see the story about how the NFL is persisting uh, in – keeping the story from getting out, squashing the story. So, um, But thank you, Bob. I'm grateful for being able to speak about it on the air, and uh, uh, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, and it appears um, that actual documentary was produced by Frontline and uh, then was initially broadcast on PBS nine years ago. So WSKG has more resources. They have more working journalists covering regional news, I believe, in in the southern tier than the newspaper currently does. They have more journalists than we do. So, call them. I'm not, you know, I'm not passing the buck. I'm saying, you know, I I I am acutely aware of the realities of our journalistic infrastructure that is being dismantled even as we speak. I mean, even yesterday, CNN laid off more people, including uh, Martin Savage, who has been with CNN from the beginning, with the Ted Turner era, and laid off uh, the woman who's been hosting, anchoring their uh, morning news program on Headline News, who'd been with the network for 21 years. So it's bad all over, man. And I see no indication, at least in the short term, that it's going to get any better.
9: Well, thanks for your suggestions, Bob. Really, I appreciate it.
0: All right. 1129, this is Bob Joseph. I know the truth is painful. This is Friday morning where we have fun and frolic. On news radio, WNBF, one FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Looking WNBF Bob Joseph live on your Friday morning. Dave from Vestal, you're on the air.
8: Good morning, sir. Hey, Bob. You know, you know, I admire. Hey, before I get into uh, what uh, Ron was talking about, I, I why? Thanks for teasing us. You're really teasing us about that. Uh, the New York Times. Boy, what a shame that would be if we were to lose that left wing operation, wouldn't it? I mean, we'd just be so disappointed. No, we wouldn't. Uh, kiss him goodbye. I wouldn't mind that, Bob. But, anyways, I, uh, I, I, uh, I appreciate Ron's uh, noble stance on that. Um, I admire it. But in reality, Bob, absolutely nothing can be done about it. And by the way. More people know about it than he thinks. I've had many conversations with people with that topic. A lot of people have heard about it and know about it, Bob. And it's something people are going to choose to do, like smoking and drinking, um, with the risk involved. I mean, they're just going to do because. But his point, so big his point
0: is, it involves kids. So we don't allow kids. Yeah. We don't allow kids to go out r- around smoking, and drinking, and so his point is kids whose brains have yet to fully develop are at, at significant risk so don't right don't uh, you know distract from from the the key point i think even he has acknowledged people who are adults have every right to put their brains at risk if they want to make a buck it's a free country if you want to make a buck for the nfl corporation you know put yourself in your family's future at risk in order to get some quick cash if you're talented on the on the field. But, again, his point has everything to do, as well, I shouldn't say everything, mostly to do with what's happening with young people.
8: Right. And some parents are, you know, they're getting the word and they're keeping their kids out. Some kids are actually talking their parents into letting them do it. Yeah, but,
0: you know, that'd be like saying, you know, some kids are saying, you know, weed is legal now for adults in New York. Um, so can I start smoking weed, Mom? They're smoke- or They're uh, selling the weed at these gift stores on the Avenue. Can I get some weed, Mom? <laughs> no, it's not funny. It's it's uh, it's really really sad and. Yes, parents need to accept responsibility. School districts need to accept responsibility. Ultimately, society should accept responsibility. I know. As I told Ron, he doesn't like it. Money talks. No one walks.
8: What about other sports, about that damage to the head without any, any, like boxing? You?
0: Yeah. What about-ism? What about-ism? Yeah. That... What about is frequently is going to terminate a call we 're focusing we were focusing on on serious head injuries and long term damage caused by tackle football among young people we 're not talking about boxing we 're not talking about peewee boxing. Eleven thirty six, Bob Joseph live on WNBF. Hopefully this phone conversation can go better. Vinny from Binghamton, give it a shot. <laughs> hey, Bob. Don't don't make me hang up on you because I will.
12: No, I just wanted to bring another um yeah, I, I I love what Ron was saying, but again, it's all about there's so many things. I mean, it's a culture in our country with football and sports. And a lot of it, we're messing with dreams. We're, mess, we're messing with um, so many opportunities. My gosh, if my son can do this, he can get his college education paid. I don't care if he goes in the pros. I just want him to go to a Big Ten school. He gets, He sits on the bench. He plays a little bit. But his college is paid for $150,000, $200,000. He's got an education. His athletic ability. See, this is what we're talking about. Now, I know we're talking about the NFL, but you've got to remember, college football is attached. Go to an SU game. Go to a Penn State game. Go to a Nebraska game. They will pack that stadium.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, take a look at, you know, what happens at a Penn State game when they have a whiteout game and and things. I mean, they're lucky. Nobody's been seriously hurt or killed, as far as I know, at those uh, giant crowds there at Penn State you know well, that that'll probably be only a matter of time but again there's so much money involved and is. and hey the schools know it the tv networks know it it's yep. uh, it's it's huge money now to a degree college yep. athletes are able to make a share which is yep. only fair because the, 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 the TV networks in the schools have been making billions of dollars off the business. So, yeah, finally, it's high time that the people who are putting themselves at risk and who are the stars yeah. of the show are at least getting something.
12: Right. And, I mean, look at the, look at the price of these, these, uh, these teams of, uh, of the NFL if you want to buy. But, I mean, you and then when we get down to the high schools, my gosh, if you go down south, that's another religion. They've got stadiums that high school stadiums, half a million, a million dollar high school stadiums. That's this, and and I think what else is behind it, Bob is. This is a venue where I don't care how much money you have, I don't care what what color you are, I don't care what your religion. If you can play this sport, you're playing. It brings people together. Believe it or not.
0: Well, I know, and I'm not criticizing that. That's great that we have, you know, there is one thing left in this country, Mm -hmm. maybe not the only thing, but about the main thing left in this country that does bring us together tends to be sports. College sports, college football, the Super Bowl. Those are, I mean, look at at church attendance. Church attendance across the country continues to plummet, and yet... Sports attendance and sports revenue continues to grow. So you know, people, people, as they say, people vote both with their feet and also with their wallets. And clearly, people place a a higher priority on you know at the altar of the sports gods. Yeah,
12: and and, uh, there was an uh, I think it was on uh, Thanksgiving they showed one of the Buffalo games. No, there's a there's a segment on one of the sports shows I was watching. And they said, you know, the the, uh, Thanksgiving moment, what was nice. And it showed Buffalo game. And there's a little boy up in the stands with a sign, you know, hey, can I play catch with you? And so one of the Buffalo players goes over, grabs this little boy, brings him down. He goes, come on, let's go on the field. So they run out, and he's just running. And he goes, you know, he goes on down there, and the player throws the ball to him in the air. He catches it, and then he throws it back. Just that spot. Amazing.
0: Yeah, reminds me of uh, Mean Joe Green and his uh, TV commercial, his fabled TV commercial for some sort of uh, delicious carbonated sugary beverage that's good for kids. So, you know, I mean, it was a heartwarming commercial. You know, I, hey, I'm sentimental, too. Maybe I work as a talk show host and maybe I am a journalist, but that doesn't mean I don't get sentimental when I see certain things. I see lots of things that tug at my heart during coverage yeah. of sporting events, whether they involve uh-huh. kids or adults. I mean, yeah. and let's face it, there there are some very important life lessons to be taught in the world of athletics. I agree. Yeah. My, and, and the hey, fact Bob, that, I, that, that we can be brought together is good. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, I think
12: my, my personal thing I wish we could uh, attack, I know about the head injuries, but a lot of these athletes got to realize you're in here to get an education. Not many people are going to make the professional football or professional sports. You've got to get your education. You've got to get something. Girls usually don't have that much of a problem. Guys do because it's the, those dreams. Oh, no, no, I'm going to make it. I know, but you might not make it. You might get hurt. No, nope, I'm a, no. You must understand the shelf life is very small in football. That's the main thing. You've got to get an education. You're all not going to come out here and start being sports people. You've got to get the education. That is the most important.
0: Appreciate your call. 1142 News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. If you want to have a thoughtful conversation, the number is 607 772 1290. I'm Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF 92.1 FM 1290 AM and always available on the free WNBF app. Say News Radio 1290
8: WNBF
1: where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF.
0: sounds like we're trying to queue up a cut from our bureau in London. Oh no, it's our bureau in Southampton. Or is it Binghamton? WNBF live at 11:44. This is News Radio on a Friday morning. Well, as mentioned earlier, there is apparently an active threat at the New York Times with the uh, employees very unhappy. I guess it was only a matter of time before it would come down to this. But it is being reported by New York Magazine on its website, nymag.com. It says this morning, the New York Times publisher, A.G. Sulzberger and CEO Meredith Copet Levin received a letter from Bill Baker from the Times Guild that was signed by more than a thousand employees. The subject line reads Enough. If there is no contract by December 8th, we are walking out. So the unionized staff and management have been unable to reach terms of a new contract. And now. Now people are getting finally fed up. And it's no secret, as as we've been discussing, not just today, but, oh, I'd say over the last few years, things are bad in the world of media, and they are getting worse. You know, I, I would say everything might be fine except for the Internet, but Al Gore Jr. had to invent his internet and well since that happened things haven't been going well for the news business and you could say well it's google's fault and it's the fault of facebook and maybe the fault of twitter or whatever there are a multitude of different reasons but ultimately things were going fairly well for the media in the United States and elsewhere around the world. And then they had to go and roll out the Internet. And what that ultimately led to was a feeling among many people that they don't have to pay for information, that information should be free, which, you know, that's a nice theory. I agree. Information should be free. But if you think information and news should be free, then extend it. Food should be free. When you're hungry, you should be able to go to the Internet and order free food. And cars. What about cars? They should be free, too. When you need a new vehicle, you should go to the Internet using the same logic that I don't need to pay or I shouldn't have to pay for Compelling factual information, I should be able to get a free car. Go to freecars.gov to order your free vehicles. Uh, but anyway, you know the, the problems that face the media business today are, are certainly bad. I'm not saying they're insurmountable. At some point, some brilliant people will figure out a way. I hope to monetize new models in journalism, so stories that aren't being covered anymore at the local level or at the state level or national stories, stories that aren't being covered, maybe they'll start being covered again. Maybe it'll take a while. Maybe I don't know what needs to happen for people to finally come to the realization That uh, no news is not good news, whether it's reduced local reporting with radio, TV, newspapers, no matter where you look, any kind of effort to reduce the number of reporters with boots on the ground, people who actually go out of a newsroom and find out, talk to people and go to government meetings and other things to find out what's going on out there you don't even know what you don't know. That's the that's the problem. We don't I know of lots of stories over the past few years that have just fallen through the cracks because The reporters that used to be in this town are no longer. They've retired. They've moved on. They've been fired. They've given up. Whatever. So, so many things that affect you and your family on a daily basis go uncovered. And people don't even understand what a crisis this truly is. Not just for this community, elsewhere. It's true in cities the size of Binghamton, and it's true in cities the size of New York and Los Angeles. 1150, Bob Joseph. Otherwise, though, things are going well in America on this Friday morning. This is WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com.
3: At Matthew's... News Radio
2: 1290,
0: WNBF. 607-772-1290. That's the number to talk to Bob Joseph on WNBF.
2: Sometimes I... Feel love.
0: WNBF Friday morning. Well, President Biden is speaking out after um, some things that have happened lately with uh, public comments by high-profile people. Uh, The president says instead of giving anti-Semitism a platform, Our political leaders should be calling out and rejecting it wherever it hides. Silence is complicity. That is the message from President Joe Biden. He says, I just want to make a few things clear. The Holocaust happened. The one person that everybody knows who I'm talking about, I'm not going to mention the person's name, on the program was a demonic figure. And instead of giving it a platform, our political leaders should be calling out and rejecting anti-Semitism wherever it hides. Silence is complicity. Now, I was going to talk about the guy who just got banned again, uh, from Twitter kicked off Twitter, it's, it's pretty bad. You have to admit, it's pretty bad when you were reinstated to the Twitter platform by Elon Musk and we're familiar I think with his world view and what he was hoping for Twitter, but Elon Musk reinstated the guy and then Thursday kicked him off the platform again because of stuff he said during an interview. And he said, basically, this other guy who was talking to another controversial guy violated Twitter's rules on inciting violence. Well... He also, it wasn't just what uh, this one guy said in the interview, it was stuff he posted on Twitter. Elon Musk said, I tried my best. Despite that, he again violated our rule against incitement to violence. Account will be suspended. Now, according to CNN, they were not able to confirm which specific tweet prompted the new suspension. However, earlier in the evening, This person tweeted an altered image of the Star of David with a swastika inside. And then that tweet followed a series of anti-Semitic comments made by this well-known person, who I believe was a billionaire, Um, and he wound up getting in trouble with business partners because people cannot and will not tolerate this conduct. So again, Elon Musk, even he, has some rules that you need to follow on the new Twitter. And people are just, I, I think the bottom line with the person whose name I'm not going to mention today, the bottom line with his antics on Twitter and in recent interviews and other forums i think it's clear that he does need help professional help i think things are spiraling out of control for him and i would like to think someone who's close to him is going to get him some help before his situation gets even worse That's my hope that he'll get help and he can get better this is bob joseph you're listening to news radio wnbf for nearly Joseph live on your Friday morning. Always a pleasure. And as we often say, mission accomplished. Hope you have a great weekend. I'll be back Monday morning here on News Radio, WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.